This week on the Young Money Podcast, Priscilla talks about the FIRE philosophy, how she navigates money in her relationship, and her cute cat, Potato. That and much more coming up next on the Young Money Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Young Money Podcast. I'm Adrian. And I'm JP. And today we have a special guest, Priscilla. How are you doing, Priscilla? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast, guys. Awesome. Thanks for coming Thanks on. Thanks for coming. Thank you. So do you want to start off, Priscilla, with telling us a little bit about yourself and you know, more specifically how you grew up, how your parents were with money, um, you know, how your family perceived money, and just give us a little bit about the background on you. Uh, sure. So I'm currently working as a designer um, in Midtown Toronto. Um, I graduated with a business degree with, um, from Ryerson. And uh, I don't know what else to say. Oh, yeah. So I also freelance and I'm also studying um, for a master's program for user experience design at U of T currently. Hoping to graduate next year, fingers crossed. Um, and yeah, so when I was younger, um, I was lucky enough to have um, to come kind of kind of from a privileged family um, who had quite a bit of a modest income. Um, I never had to you know worry about having enough food in the fridge. I even had my own room growing up. But yeah, um, my parents uh, were really nice with me um, and with my, me and my brother. Um, and we were brought up in a way that we didn't have to worry about money uh, because that's something that they didn't want us to to think about um, and to have a good brain um, to grow up really well in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. And But I also remember that like I really liked money from a young age. I don't know why uh, because... Oh, well, you know, like if you had money, you can just kind of get anything that you wanted. Uh, so it'd be like McDonald's fries or anything like that. Yeah. And and because I didn't understand the concept of money before, I just thought, oh, like if you needed more cash, you just go to the ATM and get more like easy peasy right. kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah. When did you when did you realize like you're saying you kind of grew up a bit more privileged? When did you realize that? you know, maybe the ease with which you could get money wasn't that normal or was that, wasn't that like uh, normal for your peers? Like, was there a moment where you realized like, oh, I'm actually luckier than most people here? Um, I think I found that out pretty late uh, when I was nearing my undergrad. Um, oh, so, really? Okay. Yeah, like it was, um, it's like a good and bad thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, because, even in high school, um, all the friends that I knew were the people in the same neighborhood. Uh, so we all had, you know, like the similar, like we're all from middle class. Okay. Um, but when you come to Ryerson University, you have you meet people from all kinds of various backgrounds. Yeah. And different stories. And that's when you kind of realize, hey, you know, like you can't just, you know, tell your friend to ask their parents for more money kind of thing. Sometimes they're their families might not have that kind of money and they can't go out with you um and right. it took me a, yeah like it took me a while to kind of understand that uh because you just can't right like oh I have to work or I have to go to a part-time job you know, I can't I don't have money to hang out with you all that kind of stuff 
Um, so, so now um, after I got my first job um, after university and I had some student loans, um, that's when I realized, hey, um, these, these, these monies earned are, you know, coming from blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> Yeah. And you got to think about it a little bit more. And, and that's where I kind of like, that, that's when it really hit me. And it hit me in a good way. Uh, so after that, I just decided, like, it just came to me that, you know, I, I need to, you know, manage my money a little bit better. And that's mm-hmm. when I started reading about, you know, like, fire, uh, financial independence, all that kind of stuff. And it really drew me in ever since then. Can you expand a little bit about, uh, you know, what FIRE is? Yeah, um, financial, it's, it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early, FIRE. And basically, it means that you have enough income in a way that it covers your expenses, your living expenses, and you can use your newly acquired free time to do whatever you want it to do. Um, so okay. a lot of people, they use that time to, you know, um, figure out their hobbies, find out their passion or travel the world, that kind of stuff. And it it mean, it also gives people an opportunity that, you know, you don't need to work until you're 65 in order to retire. You can actually, you know, if you budget properly and follow the principles of fire, you can retire earlier than 65. And some people have actually retired as early as, you know, 31. And it's, it's been a crazy inspiration for me. Well, okay. So where, where can people find out more about those principles or do you have them on deck when it comes to the the principles that like, I guess, formulate this whole fire uh, thinking? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess like the first thing that I thought of in my mind is Reddit. Uh, so they have a subreddit called financial independence. And they do have a little wiki there, like a little sidebar that gives an overall general idea of what FIRE is and what to do in order to achieve FIRE. Uh, there's other blogs. Um, another another one that I just started, um, started following is Millennial Revolution. Um, so they're the authors of a book called I Quit Like a Millionaire. Um, so basically, the 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 author I forgot her name um, just slipped out of my mind. Uh, she basically grew up from poverty and into a millionaire and retired at thirty one, and now she's using her time to travel the world, uh, become a writer because that's what she always wanted to do, and um and she kind of just talks about how she achieved that and and how her life is is today. Um, another blog would be. Uh, more famously known as Mr. Money Must- uh, Mustache, and what's this mustache? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. So so this guy is um extreme frugality, and he he came from an average income, like a like a teacher income, and he achieved fire uh, just by you know spending less, uh, investing increasing their try to increase his income uh be mindful of his spending all that kind of stuff so those are the things that just kind of popped out of my in my mind um i also read quite a few books um that's that's pretty nice because i get that sometimes if you're new to investing all that kind of stuff uh, some of the terms can be very scary or 
it, it kind of discourages you from reading it further. But there are some books that um, I think kind of talks about the concepts in a very more engaging and interactive, lighter tone than some other blogs and, and books. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, do you have any books uh, like that are top of mind or um, is this something I could just add in the show notes maybe later? Yeah, um, one of my favorite ones is Wealthy Like Rabbits. Um, another one is The Wealthy Barber Returns. And a third one I can think of, sorry, third and fourth. Uh, third would be Millionaire Teacher. And the fourth okay. one is Your Money or Your Life. And the fifth one um, is Quit Like a Millionaire. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely add those to the show notes just so that people can mm-hmm. can uh, uh, have access to them. What was the first one that you said? Something about rabbits? I, di- I didn't quite hear. Yeah, Wealth and Like Rabbits. Okay, cool. Yeah, because rabbits, you know, they they breed really fast. So they basically the book talks about how um, if you, you know, save enough and make it a habit, your wealth will gr- basically grow as fast as how rabbits reproduce. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Awesome. What was your like first um, sort of job? Did you have to work through school? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so my first job was um, at Domino's Pizza when I was 16. Um, so being a teenager in high school, um, it was pretty awesome to get pizza for half price. Uh, so that was kind of nice. Um, but when I went to um, Ryerson, I only worked a few part-time jobs here and there. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, so and and my parents actually wanted me to you know focus on my studies full time. So I didn't really I didn't really earn much that time. Um, but after that, um, I got my first job um, after, even before my, before graduation. Um, so that was a big um, burden off my shoulders uh, before I even had to graduate. And the pay wasn't a lot, but I, it, I was pretty happy that um, it was in the field that I wanted to go into and also to get some experience under my belt. Um, so I didn't have to um, worry in the sense that, oh, I, I can't find a job. Will I find a job after I graduate kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a huge um it's a huge relief when you don't have to worry about like at once getting an education and also getting income. And I think that that's something that um, people that are privileged don't really realize that they, they get to do that. Right. Because I think that when you're working towards an education, but you're also trying to put a, like a roof over your head, it mm-hmm. really makes getting that education so much harder. Yeah. Like I actually stayed for an extra year in my undergrad because in my like near my fourth year, I, I, when I was applying for jobs, I ended up getting anything back, and it was pretty like discouraging. And I thought that you know I just hide in school for like one more year just to kind of figure things out. And I'm really glad I did because I decided instead of applying for you know business jobs, I applied for designing jobs, and it worked. Mm-hmm. And it ended up working well, really well for me. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to, I mean, this is something that I can personally empathize with because I sort of did the same sort of switch from business to design. Um, for those maybe looking to do the same sort of thing, what did you? What helped that transition? Like, 
surely you probably felt like, as I did kind of a bit self-conscious about your lack of experience in design with a business degree. Like how did you make that pivot? You could briefly go over that. Um, so it was kind of like whatever, I, whatever job I can get first. Um, so whether okay. it was like business or design, um, I, I just needed the job. Um, because I didn't want to like rely on my parents too much. Um, yeah. And, and also the fact that I, I did kind of do like a, like a mini internship um, in my second or third year. And I, I, it was kind of hard to imagine doing business as like a full-time career or like economics as a full-time career. Yeah. And you probably felt like the same thing where you felt like you had more fun um, doing design and sure. yeah right and then I just felt like hmm, okay like it doesn't hurt to kind of apply for for designs while I try to apply for you know business jobs but I was yeah. kind of secretly hoping that I, I get a design job um because I feel like I would have more fun doing that and and it wouldn't be as boring kind of way yeah I think that that that's that's a great lesson right there is that you weren't really mm -hmm you weren't like completely married to one job or another, right? You were kind of like, I need a job, but I'm going to broaden my horizons and I'm going to apply to different things. I think that too often people our age, especially like have this aspiration of this one job that they absolutely need. And then if they don't get it, they'll get crushed. But really what you need is to like widen your net, open your horizons and try to apply to a bunch of different things and see what lands. Yeah, I think you brought up a really good point because, you know, like a lot of people in undergrad think that, you know, you know, because I studied business, this is the only route that I can go down um, in my career. And and you're absolutely right. Like everyone's life stories are different and no one's path is so linear as what others might think. And, mm -hmm. and it's good that they actually steer away from it because once you hit like once you go one time um off the path that you wanted to go you're like oh it's actually not that bad you know i can still live i can do this i can still do this and it's actually not that bad and, yeah, exactly. and it helps yeah it helps because like at the same time like i don't know if you got any pressure from your parents my parents were telling me that hey you can apply for a design job but you know in the end you might want to still go back to a business um job right Mm. and I'm like okay sure um but in in a way I kind of like prove them wrong <laughs> and sometimes it feels nice to prove them wrong um but <laughs> yeah so it, it was good in in the sense that um like where I am currently today um it, it gives them reassurance that I turned out okay and they kind of stopped uh telling me to look for another job so it's kind of like good mm -hmm. assurance in a way yeah and that's like a perfect transition into uh, the next question that we like to ask. And that is like how much of uh, your financial situation can be attributed uh, to your hard work versus kind of, you know, you mentioned that you're really lucky that your parents uh, could provide uh, a lot for you and, you know, um, have the funds to kind of support you and stuff. So we kind of like to see, uh, you know, what kind of percentage um uh, your financial situation is attributed to you versus uh, the environment that you were uh, that you grew up in yeah totally um so my parents lo love me quite a bit um and they 
didn't want me to worry about money. Um, but at the same time, and I'm really thankful and I'm really thankful for that. Uh, but at the same time, I was brought up in a way to be a little bit more materialistic, uh, more of a spender than a saver. Um, I was really into tech, uh, so I wanted to get like the latest Android phone and all that kind of stuff. But it just didn't hit me how much work you would need to do to earn that kind of money to to buy the latest phone all the time. Um, so in, in a way, um, I, I ended up spending more than I earned. Um, and eventually, when I had to graduate and pay off my student loans, um, and I didn't earn as much as I thought I would, I would, I would. Um, that's when it made me realize that, you know, I had a really long way to go and I would need to, you know, learn how to budget and all that kind of stuff um, in order to kind of hit that debt and finish paying it off so that I have enough money to retire, basically. So that's when it yeah. really hit me. Yeah. That's really good. Do you have any like, um, like quick and dirty budgeting tips for people? Um, the main tip is to basically spend less than you earn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, know, that's a good one. you know, that's really like obvious, but so many people just completely overlook that because yeah. it takes so much more work to actually, it takes more work than you think to track all of your expenses and, mm -hmm. you know, have, have a spreadsheet, um, you know, every month of like, you know, what you're spending, what you're earning, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, a yeah. Really, that's a really underrated tip for sure, <laughs> because, you know, it seems obvious, but at the same time, people, uh, there's so many people out there who, you know, obviously cannot follow that. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you, do you keep track of like a spreadsheet, Priscilla? Like, um, is there any tools specifically, or are you just, you're conscious of, of, you know, how much money you're bringing in and how much money is being taken out? Yeah, totally. Um, so there's, you know, apps for that. Um, so something called Mint um, or you need a Ooh, budget. Mint, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so those ones track your budget. Um, I don't know if you have any of the banks that are uh, bank apps that are installed in your phone. Um, yeah, I have the I have the TD My Spend app, and it's the most mm -hmm. useless app in the world. It just tells me my <laughs> yeah, average it's spending. It's so dumb. It's like I'll go to a restaurant that I've never been to in the middle of nowhere on the on the way to somewhere, and then it'll be yeah. like, "Your spending is below average at like you know a <laughs> gas station in the middle of nowhere." And I'm like, "Yeah, because I'll never go here, and I've never been here." It's like <laughs> doesn't give me any insights. It just. <laughs> It's really stupid, but Mint is great. I I, I remember using Mint in uh, in undergrad, but then um, I think there was like privacy concerns. I think that made me stop using it. I don't know. Mint, don't sue me for that. I don't actually know, but yeah, I've I've since stopped using Mint. But you say Mint is is still a good good option. Are you are you using it still? Yeah, like I used it for a while too, and then I deleted it for the same reason you had. Uh, so basically, um, you have to log in to your bank um, for it to kind of connect with mint right mm -hmm. and apparently from what i read um that kind of waives your liability um in any case if there's fraudulent activities that happen within your bank because Ooh. you're providing your login credentials to a third-party app oh shit i didn't know that that's a huge tip okay everybody yeah. delete mint off your phone. <laughs> <laughs> i but, didn't know but, that at all yeah 
yeah, but what are the chances? Like, well, I know there is quite a bit of fraudulent activity, but um, if you can catch it earlier enough, maybe they'll help you. Um, but that's just like one of the things. I don't have like an article or a physical like um, study research or, you know, I look, I didn't yeah. look through the fine print or anything like that, but that's just what I've been, been reading about. Um, okay okay on, on we can Reddit. we can always like fact check after in the in the yeah. in the show notes and so nice. that our, our listeners don't get <laughs> bad yeah. information but that's yeah. it that's, you know yeah um but from like if you read some personal finance books and all that kind of stuff um the best like the absolute best way for you to kind of realize what you're spending on in your budget is to kind of track it write it down do mm-hmm. it manually like that's the best yeah. way to do it Yep. Because, yeah, because like, you know, once you track it down, um, you realize, oh, I spent 50 bucks more on this thing or that thing. And yeah. you can quickly see how how fast it will add up at the end of the month. And mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, shit, I need to like, you know, spend less money. Yeah, I think I think one of the habits um, our generation need to adopt more is, you know, um, without sounding too uh, too corny, I think like scrolling through your bank statements or scrolling through your your visa statement on your phone should be as much of a habit as scrolling through instagram like just to be able to see all those expenses and the way that they rack up i think that is is really really eye-opening i always do it because i'm just always paranoid about fraudulent expenses so i'm always just Mm -hmm. scrolling through and seeing like okay that checks out okay i went there that time whatever but i don't think enough people actually regularly check their app because they're too afraid of seeing something that they might not might not want to see I guess <laughs> yeah exactly like if you look back at your bank statement and you see this line item and you're like what is this again or why am I paying this much again for this yeah. and then, yeah it, it just kind of it's it, it's it's an eye-opener for sure yeah what's what's something that you thought was normal for the longest time and when I say something I mean like something money related obviously something money related that was normal for the longest time but um, you didn't realize was was weird I think it's like the way I was brought up um I was like one of those kids who just tell your friends that you should just ask your parents for more money <laughs> and and it, it took a while for me to realize again like that that's pretty close-minded it's it, not everyone has the same situation as you or ever not everyone has is as lucky as you um, so you, you have to be a little bit more understanding. And and from that, I realized that, hey, um, you don't have, like when you hang out with your friends, you don't have to spend money all the time, right? If mm-hmm. you guys want to get together and eat, maybe you guys can do a potluck or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, at least if you want to watch a movie, instead of going on a Friday, you guys can go on a Tuesday when it's half price at Cineplex or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely it's, ways to be like, um, you know, like splurgy and stingy. Mm-hmm. And that also plays into a question that we like to ask, like, uh, what kind of ways, in which ways are you splurgy and which ways are you stingy? I mean, you already mentioned kind of your love of uh, tech mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I can imagine uh, maybe you have a newer phone than uh, the average consumer. But uh, yeah, we like to ask that. Yeah, totally. Um yeah, so electronics tech is is kind of my splurgy um, guilty pleasure. Yeah, um, what's your but, what's your current phone? 
I actually have a Samsung Galaxy S8. Um, so it's okay. yeah, I got it the year that it was released. Um, so it was new at that time, and mm-hmm. and it's been like what two two to three years now. Um, so I've, I've hit the mark of of two years, and now I'm kind of like eyeing other phones. Yeah, you're in the market. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so I, I'm I'm yeah. getting there, but I haven't got to the point where I need a new one. But I always, you know, have conversations with myself and like, hey, you know, like maybe I should try an iPhone or, you know, I kind of need this feature on the new Galaxy S20 or something. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. do you think that is? Like, you, I guess you're, you kind of just answered the question, but like, what do you think is the thing that sort of makes you feel that need to buy a new phone? Like, I've I've been curious about this myself because when the new iPhone 11 came out, I was like, "Ooh, I I really I feel like I should, I, I need this one," you know. And like, what do you think for you? Is there a specific feature on a phone that makes you want a new one? Is it just that everybody around you has a newer phone, so that makes you want a new one? Like, what is that thing that makes you feel the need to buy something new? Yeah, like I don't know if you guys get the feeling like, "Hey, you see this new shiny tech." <laughs> Mm-hmm. and then like yeah i kind of want that um and i think <laughs> agent can relate because he just got into like making pcs so i think that you can relate probably oh, nice. i can yeah. i can le- i can relate very strongly like when i see uh, a new release for like uh like a next generation processor that you know probably performs similar to mine and is 50 bucks uh more expensive I'm like, ooh, but <laughs> look at those like, look at those charts, look at those results or whatever. So <laughs> for me, yeah. like, I, and I've been getting into phones a little more uh, recently too. Uh, I just got like the Pixel 3a, which is like the weaker uh, version of the Pixel 3. And uh, it, it's so snappy and stuff. I love it. And but before, before I got this phone, I had a Galaxy S5 from 2015 so uh, i literally just got this a couple of months ago so um really like recently i've been i've been loving uh you know uh watching like tech reviews and like um uh who's that guy mhkb oh, yeah, or yeah. something yeah. mkbhd yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 he's awesome yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it's really cool. So I, I can totally see the appeal in uh, the newer, faster um, tech and stuff like that. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, like I, I got my first MacBook a few years ago, like two, in 2000, late 2017. So it hasn't been three years. And it has 16 gigs of RAM. Um, but I think we all know that it, recently Apple released their, renewed their 13-inch MacBook that you can configure up to 32 gigs mm. around and mm-hmm. i'm like hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm thinking about it <laughs> yeah yeah for yeah sure. especially think... if you're doing uh design and stuff like that and like uh video and and image rendering that's uh you really want that extra ram right so, oh yeah for sure yeah because yeah. and and now i'm trying to justify it now because you know like my fan is going off all the time i know i need mm-hmm. to upgrade to a 32 gig so it doesn't overheat <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah i think yeah. getting getting like a, a work laptop um and like recently i had to just switch out my my work laptop for a bigger work laptop it just has made me care much less about the hardware 
because I realized like, it's almost as if that thought experiment of like, Oh, it, what if I got this newer gear, it would be so much better. Right. Well, I actually mm-hmm. can do that because I can just get a work laptop. That's better. And I realized my yeah. workflow is pretty similar. So like, it makes me realize that it's not really about the gear. It's just about like the perception well, that I have, def- if that makes sense. Definitely. At, at some <laughs> point there's, there's like a point of diminishing returns, right? Like, you know, yeah. if you're just working with Excel and, and Chrome and a couple other programs or whatever, you really don't need like uh, 64 gigs of RAM or a really great uh, graphics card. So at that point, it's just like a little bit overkill if you're just like emailing and, and you know, using, <laughs> yeah. a, you, know, you know, using a light design program or whatever. So, yeah. What's the what's the dumbest thing you've you've ever bought, Priscilla? Like on the topic of tech, I feel like I've definitely bought a few uh, dumb tech toys, thinking that this would change my life, but then I'd never use them again. Is there anything that that stands out? Like any dumb purchases? Yeah. yeah. Or 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 a bad like a really bad review of something that you thought was going to be good, and you don't want other people to buy. You want to let them know. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, like the stupidest thing is like when we when i moved out i for a tv it's not a smart tv so i wanted to get a chromecast and somehow i was pressured into buying warranty on a chromecast like a 35 dollar piece of tech and Ooh, i wow. immediately <laughs> were yeah, you like pressured I, into getting a warranty <laughs> i don't know <laughs> something's telling me you're very easily persuadable <laughs> you got <laughs> I, I don't know what's telling you that part <laughs> but yeah I I brought it in the next day to like refund that because it just like I just immediately regretted it after I said yes and yeah, at that yeah. point I was too scared to say no and then I went back the next day like nah this is this is not for me <laughs> yeah I think I think though like just to I really want to hit this hit this point because this is making me think of this like mm-hmm. when you're in a store and you're in a conversation with a store clerk I think that our brains, like our, you know, ancestral brains, is confusing it for just a normal social situation. But we're not good at recognizing the fact that that person is there to sell you things. So mm-hmm. it's like really uncomfortable to tell the person, oh, I'm actually not that interested in this. Or, oh, this is actually more than I'm willing to spend. And yeah. we're so focused on appearing a certain way when we're talking to store clerks because we're just like, we don't understand the relationship fully. Like, I'm sure that that person gave you the warranty with like the, gave you the warranty offer with like a big smile and you were kind of too uncomfortable mm-hmm. to say no. So you said yes. And then, but really I think that we need to remember that when you're in a store, it's like completely okay to just be like, actually, this is more than I want to spend or, you know, what, I don't really want this. You know, it's, it's really yeah. tricky to, to navigate that, that environment. It's a really interesting relationship too, because when you when you talk to let's say like a car salesman or whatever, they're literally trying to talk you into a, a negative EV like uh, deal for you, right? Like a, a negative expected value deal where they make more money, they they make uh, more value than the value is worth to you for the car, mm-hmm. and, and so like I think we I think that's a really good point where we kind of like um, confuse the idea of like, Oh, this is a good trade because I'm like making this guy happy uh, now or whatever. And 
our, our tribal brains are like, oh, we'll make him happy now and he'll help us yeah. out later. But that yeah. guy, that guy like on the east side of Ottawa is not going to help you out later. He's just trying yeah. to sell cars. <laughs> so, it's really yeah. interesting that way. Uh, I find yeah. myself very easily talked into uh, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Have yeah, you have same, you ever been same. easily easily persuaded? Like apart from this warranty for the Chromecast, is there any other instance where you've you've like walked or, like out of the store and thought, "Why did I buy that?" Like, <laughs> um, n- not too much, uh, thank God. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but my my partner is um, more of a spender than me. And oh okay yeah so so when she asks me like so when we go shopping or something like that and she was like oh you know like should I buy this or or not and I didn't want to be like that stingy penny pincher partner especially in public and oh this is such a right? juicy topic <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> yeah oh yeah and I was like okay so, sh- like sure like you know you can do whatever you want but. For for me, yeah, I yeah. just like keep to myself. Yeah. Has that has that put uh, pressure on your relationship that there's such a disparity in how you guys both view money? Uh no, actually not at all. Like um, I think that's what makes our relationship work is that we're we're really communicative um with each other. Okay. Um, and she knows from the beginning that like I'm I'm more of a like a money girl. Mm-hmm. um than her and and she's okay with just you know her listening to me talk about money all the time but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at the same time like I don't stop her from from trying to buy things or whatnot uh sometimes yeah. I even influenced her a little bit to you know save a little bit more which is great um yeah. but yeah and and she also knows that like for, for me you know I like to spread a little bit on tech um so she doesn't really stop me from from doing what I want to do so it's good yeah that's 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 a really good point it sounds like a healthy relationship (laughs) um do you do you have any tips for for listeners that might be in the same situation where they're in a relationship with someone that has a completely different view on money and do you have any tips in how you could maybe approach that sort of topic with your partner so that they can you know, like when you when you tell her like, oh, maybe this might be the might not be the best thing to buy or maybe you should get the cheaper option. Like, is there certain strategies that you use to make it less personal and more just you know, almost like strategic? Yeah, like I think, uh, well, there's two main things is that if you ever try to get some advice online, for example, Reddit, uh, don't really listen to them because they're always going to say cut them out of your life. Um, but- <laughs> Uh, but the second part is that um, you shouldn't say like, hey, don't do this or, you know, don't buy this because it's stupid. Um, usually that would backfire on you. Um, yeah. At least I would imagine it to be. Um, but more about, you know, like trying to understand like why they want to buy this kind of stuff. Um, sometimes, you know, people have retail th- uh, therapy, right? Like people like to buy things just to get stress out of the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe if you tell, like, if we try to like talk to them in a way that, Hey, instead of going shopping, maybe we can, you know, go hiking or something like that. Uh, so mm, you kind of okay. steer them away. Yeah. Like you kind of steer yeah, them yeah. away from having to, you know, take out the stress by shopping. Maybe you can take out the stress by some other ways. That yeah. That's a really good them. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, like the main issue is about the, the product like whatever product 
you know, your partner wants to buy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so to solve, you know, to solve the issue by saying that product is, you know, bad or whatever, it is not the best way. It, that That's a great piece of advice to actually, sure. you know, try to understand why, what, what the motivations behind uh, someone purchasing something is. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's and, really yeah. yeah. And, and the third piece that I don't really recommend as much is, you try to run, run along with the idea that, hey, okay, like you want to buy a car. Sure. Okay. How much is it going to cost? Did you take into consideration insurance? Mm-hmm. Um, do you need to rent out a parking spot? Uh, how much, like what kind of gas was it? Is it like regular, mid or premium gas? Uh, how much is the maintenance? And you just kind of bombard them with questions and you kind of see them calculated out on a piece of paper <laughs> and then you start to see how much it will cost. So in a way, you kind of run them down the idea that, it, oh, maybe it's actually not a great idea actually, after you kind of lay it all out for them. But yeah, some people okay. get really, yeah, yeah, some people, but sometimes depending on who you're talking to, right, like what, how your partner is like, uh, they might get really defensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which it sounds like your partner is not defensive. So that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so it's good, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I think that that's such an underrated aspect of any relationship, which we haven't actually um, talked about too much on the podcast up until now. So I'm really glad you you brought that up, Priscilla, because I think that that's a really big component of being young and trying to sort of financially budget is like what happens when your partner is, you know, views money uh, a different way. But it sounds like you've got some some pretty good strategies. And d- did you say that you, you live with your partner? Yeah, I, I, I live with my partner for, yeah. Do you, do you have any like uh, systems with her or like spreadsheets or like mechanisms to, to keep track of money? Like when you go out or when you do groceries, do you do you do like 50-50 or is it like kind of like you buy something and then you think, oh, well, she'll get me later kind of thing? Uh, yeah. So we use an app called Splitwise. Um, it's nice. free or a premium plan. Um, and we use that to half our expenses for groceries, uh, rent, uh, utilities, all that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, which is good. Um, it, it helps It helps kind of, instead of kind of calculating all at the end of the month and trying to figure out the receipts and all that kind of thing, um, Splitwise works it out pretty well for us. Um, and we don't have any kind of joint accounts. Uh, so we kind of respect each other in a way that, you know, it's your money, you do whatever you want with it, and I do with mine. Um, and then sometimes, occasionally, we do get like each other things. You know, sometimes we buy each other dinner, all that kind of stuff, or coffee is usually more yeah. common. Um, and we have a pet cat too, um, so we okay. split the cost on that. Um, she's more of a splurge as well. Um, um, yeah, yeah, because because pets can be expensive sometimes. Yeah, if if you wouldn't mind actually um, going over a little bit about like cat ownership, like how I have no idea I've. My family has a dog and I'm, I'm a bit more familiar with dog ownership, but how much mm-hmm. is a cat, I, I don't know, per month, per year? Like what, mm-hmm. what kind of expenses should you expect uh, from owning a cat? Um, I think, well, she's an indoor cat, uh, so she's easier to maintain uh, okay. because if she's an outdoor cat, um, you would have, like she would have to get more shots. And I think a yearly checkup is around $200. Um, so that's rabies shot and a yearly checkup just to make sure that she's okay. Um, food. So it's, she needs food and litter. 
and we buy the big bags uh, from Costco. So that okay. that that itself is pretty cheap. So for example, um, their cat litter is I think fifty pounds for like nine dollars. <laughs> so that's like cool. extremely cheap. Yeah, and and it'll yeah, last really for about yeah, like it'll last her for about half a year or so. Holy um, okay. Yeah, cats are not that expensive, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. girlfriend. Do not tell your girlfriend. <laughs> She'll have three in here like before the end of the day. Oh Cut this part out. <laughs> edit this. Edit this. <laughs> do you not want a cat, Adrian? Uh, I'm allergic. I I do oh. I do enjoy um the the presence of a nice feline, but um. <laughs> But yeah, I, it makes me sneeze. It's kind of yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, there's, I, I'm there's very, also... I'm very like on the fence on of the topic. Yeah, I'm, are, are you... I'm on the fence, and luckily, like uh, my partner is just very allergic to it, so it would never be a thing. But I, I do like how chill they are and how low maintenance they are. That is really <laughs> so low maintenance. <laughs> they are, and I'm, I'm. We're pretty lucky that our cat is more like a cat dog kind of thing she's so she's not really afraid to to be petted mm-hmm. um, yeah i love she's, cat dogs she's still I like, a little yeah. affectionate right yeah, yeah. And, and and sometimes they're just so cute sometimes when they just come up to you and then just like need you with their head and stuff like that oh it's so cute <laughs> <laughs> how did you how did you get the cat like did you go through is there even rescue i'm sure there are right for, for cats um or yeah. is there did you get it from like uh like a pet smart kind of thing or how did you actually get the cat? Um, so my partner moved to Toronto um, and got her first apartment. Uh, the previous tenant had um, two cats that, okay. you know, like she, she wasn't going to keep. Like that previous tenant wasn't going to keep. Um, mm-hmm. So they asked uh, my partner that, hey, is it okay if, you know, this cat stays with you until I find a new owner? And she's like, yeah. And and she dealt with it like well at least she was kind of half and half because my partner is also allergic to cats and dogs too um oh, okay she just yeah she kind of dealt with it um so after a month um the tenant said hey i can't find an owner uh do you want to keep the cat or no and then my partner was like yeah sure why not it's <laughs> <laughs> a very so caring got... person that bites the bullet of being allergic to it and still yeah. keeps the keeps the cat <laughs> Yeah, but I'm I'm happy she kept the cat. Um, our cat's name is Potato, and she looks like <laughs> <Nice>. Potato. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. There's also like uh hypoallergenic dogs. I don't know if you're like really set on getting a cat, but there's hypo hypoallergenic dogs that. Yeah, I think I think dog. quarantine quarantine is definitely getting to to my mind in terms of like how I'm perceiving pet ownership. Like I think it would be fun, mm-hmm. but when things go back to normal knock on wood hopefully they do um i think i would look at that cat with some resentment because <laughs> i'd be like i don't, I don't <laughs> want a pet anymore <laughs> i wish i could rent a pet for about like you know however long this this whole quarantine thing lasts but <laughs> yeah good stuff so one of the recurring questions we like to ask on the podcast is what would you do with a million dollars right now I would probably invest it all um, and get all the returns from it and you perhaps use that money to maybe buy a detached home outside the GTA. That's what my strategy would be today. Okay. 
you wouldn't you wouldn't spend you wouldn't have one nice dinner with a million dollars you could just invest okay maybe it all. one nice dinner <laughs> <laughs> one so nice dinner is a pure gold market <laughs> yeah. gold market person <laughs> uh yeah honestly like I don't want to like um, no liability for any uh, investment lost on my comments, but right now slash like in the next six months is a great time to invest in any of your blue chip stocks because everything is going to uh, come down for a little bit and then go back up once COVID-19 is finished and we get uh, a nice growth back Absolutely. in the country. Yeah. 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 But, um, but again, uh anyone who's listening to this this is not a financial advice uh, <laughs> yeah. uh we are we are released of any liability of funds lost due to uh poor investments <laughs> yeah decided by your host <laughs> now you got me thinking maybe a, a two nice dinners and maybe interested in <laughs> getting a motorcycle or something that'd be nice Ooh, motorcycle. Ooh. <laughs> yeah that'd be fun yeah, yeah, that would be sure. really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you were touching on, you know, uh, before we actually sort of entered the this conversation in this call, you were talking about how working remotely is a little more attractive to you as an idea. Um, does your partner work remotely as well? Like, would you both be able to work maybe outside of outside of Toronto? Yeah, um, I think my partner was already working at home four out of the five days of the week already uh, before wow. quarantine happened. Yeah, so so making a you know a full week was a minimal difference for her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for for me though, I was working in the office about four days out of five, um, okay. and I thought I didn't like uh, working from home. Because uh, sometimes, you know, like you can just catch yourself taking a break. You're not working as hard because you're not in the office with everyone else. Um, yeah. But I think uh, there's some good sides to it. So, you know, in terms of design, when you do some usability testing uh, with some people, when you're on mm-hmm. Microsoft Teams, uh, we use Microsoft. Um, so mm-hmm. on Microsoft Teams, you can just get people to, you know, you know, uh, share their screen, uh, hit record. And it would be good because, you know, that they're they're on their own desk. Uh, they're kind of in their natural habitat working, and yeah, that's, that's the point. kind of environment we want, right? Yeah, it's it's it, it it's it's so much easier to kind of do usability testing that way. And if we need to call someone, you just need to call that like, you just you know reach them from a click of a button. Whereas mm-hmm. before, you kind of have to like run around the office trying to find them, and then if you don't find them you know a decision gets delayed for i don't know how long how many hours and yeah yeah right Mm -hmm. and then if we need to do individual individual work um you're already in your own space right uh so so it it makes it a lot easier for you to kind of focus but at the same time you're at home and and you're at your relaxing space at the same time so you get easily distracted and the fridge distracted is by important. potato yeah yeah <laughs> she's so cute sometimes <laughs> how would and you know for the final recurring question how would a one thousand dollar unexpected expense um affect you right now i think it would be more of an annoyance um but i can handle it no problem um okay yeah 
I have an emergency fund that's put aside for situations like this. And yeah, that, that would, that I would be using that to cover that cost. Cool. For, for that emergency fund, do you have like automatic recurring payments transferred over to that fund or is it something that you do occasionally uh, and intentionally? Uh, more of the latter. So okay. I saved up a certain amount and then after that, I just kind of left it the way it is. Um, mm -hmm. And I keep it in a high interest savings account so that it at least earns a bit of interest and not lose out to inflation. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on, Priscilla. Like this is, uh, this is super yeah, helpful. And I love that we talked a little bit about relationships and money because I think that that's something that's, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we haven't talked enough about. So that's, that was really, sure. really great. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good for um, maybe coming up with some uh, new questions in the future and uh, kind of expanding on that relationship because I think that's a really important thing to point out. So thanks for bringing that to the limelight. You're welcome. Cool. Thank you for having me on. Our pleasure. And uh, thank you to the listeners. Um, it really helps us out when you subscribe. And uh, we really appreciate all the feedback we've been getting. Um, so yeah, keep on listening and, uh, and we'll see you on a later time. <laughs>